0: Well, if you have your Bible, if you can grab it and turn to James chapter one, please remain standing. And uh, James chapter number one. Thank you for the music today. Thank you for those involved in that. Jesse, thank you for being for playing. Um, many of you may know or may not know, but Jesse's grandmother passed away yesterday, and uh, so we want to be lifting their family up in prayer as well. James chapter number 1 and we'll read the first 5 verses. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. My brethren, count it all joy when ye fall into diverse temptations. Knowing this that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have for perfect work that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that giveth to all men liberally, and abradeth not, and it shall be given him. Let's pray again uh, together. Lord, we're grateful for what you've done in our hearts already, through the music, through uh, what we've already uh, been through this service. But Lord, I pray now as we get into your word, I pray, Lord, you'd soften our hearts for what you have for us. Help us, Lord, to uh, be... uh, Open to what you have for us, and then, Lord, help us to apply the truths to our lives. We pray these things in Christ's name, Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. Well, this morning you may have noticed the uh, outline is a little more substantial than it usually is. Um, my daughter usually says they're not a bunch of subpoints. There's a bunch of bonus points. So there's a lot of bonus points this morning. Um, I don't suspect it's going to be a horribly lengthy message. Uh, But I do want to try to cover this as in-depth and yet without going too long as I possibly can. Well, on the very first Sunday of this year, I started a, a series of messages in our theme called Magnify the Lord, if you recall. By way of review, we spoke first the first week about magnifying the Lord in our own hearts. And then the next week, we talked about magnifying the Lord in our homes. The following week, we talked about magnifying the Lord in our marriage Then we talked about magnifying the Lord with our time. And then last week, we talked about magnifying the Lord in our finances. And then last week, before all of what took place this week, I was planning to cover on how we can magnify the Lord in our trials. So I began on Monday morning and into the afternoon working on this sermon While I was working on these thoughts, I heard several emergency vehicles zoom past our church. And then I began to hear helicopters fly overhead and thinking that the sound of the helicopters is going to fade because I'm sure they're flying far away from our church. But they didn't fade. I kept hearing them be very loud over by my office. So then I went outside and noticed they were hovering over Moore High School just down the street from our church. And a few minutes later, I had learned what had happened. And so I decided that I would change the title of the sermon to, Why Does God Allow Bad Things to Happen to Good People? And the reason I did that is because many people begin to ask this type of a question after a tragedy like the one two weeks ago when a helicopter crashed in Los Angeles and nine souls went into eternity, including Kobe Bryant and his 13-year-old daughter, Gianna. Or like the one that happened last Monday afternoon just down the street, or even the car accident that took place in Newcastle on Tuesday that took the life of a young teenager. And tragedies are a part of life. Okay, so Pastor Johnson, why would God allow bad good bad things to happen to good people? Well, now I'm going to put on my theological hat, my preacher hat and say that the theological and the technical answer to this question is that it is in reality the wrong question to ask in the first place. It's kind of a trick question because the correct question should be, why does God allow good things to happen to bad people? I mean, why would a holy and a righteous God bless people who are sinners by birth and by choice? The Bible tells us in Psalm 14 and verse 1, The fool hath said in his heart, There is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none that doeth good. The Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand and seek God. But here's what he found. They are all gone aside. They are all together become filthy. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. There was only one perfect man who ever lived. His name is Jesus Christ. He's the only one that you could really consider good. But boy, did he ever go through a bad time. No one experienced bad like Jesus experienced. You see, he was completely and totally innocent, and yet there he was, beaten with a cat of nine tails. He was tortured, he was mocked, he was humiliated, and nailed to an old rugged cross. And friend, he did it for you, and he did it for me. The Bible says it this way, but God commendeth, or demonstrated, or showed his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So why does God allow bad things to happen to good people? Friend, that really technically only happened once. And it was to Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. And when God the Father turned His back on God the Son and the uh, the, the sky grew dark, and Jesus said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And that was all done for you and for me. Now, I realize that's not exactly the answer you were looking for this morning, but that is the technical, biblical answer to that question. But on a more practical level, I do want to try to attempt this morning to answer the question on why God allows trials into our lives and tragedies and and trauma like what we've experienced as as a town this week. And many of you in your own personal lives as well, on top of what happened here in Moore. Why does God allow this? Well, first of all, I want us to notice, number one, the promise of trials. Verse number two in our text, James says this, My brethren, count it all joy. And then notice this next word here, when you fall into diverse temptations. Notice he didn't use the word, if you fall into diverse temptations. In other words, there's a promise that we're going to go through difficult times. Trials are a part of life, like it or not. You say, well, okay, that's, that's what James had to say. Well, I'm going to kind of trump him and say, okay, let's go What to his half-brother Jesus said. In John chapter 16 and verse 33, it was Jesus who said, These things have I spoken unto you that in me ye might have peace. Then he said, in the world ye shall have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. And there are some promises in the Bible that I really like. This is not one of those promises that I really enjoy. The fact that we're going to have tribulation. That we're going to experience diverse temptations. That we're going to experience hardship and tragedy in our lives. I don't like that. But it's a fact of life. It has been said that you are either... You just went through a trial, currently experiencing a trial or about to go into one. Right now, of course, our entire community is going through a time of trials. We mourn the loss of these two precious teenage girls and the others who are injured as well. The reality of life is that we will experience troubles and trials and that we shouldn't be shocked when we do. It was Peter who said in 1 Peter chapter 4, In verse number 12, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. Peter's saying, don't be shocked when you go through a time of trial and tragedy. Like, don't be going, what? Now, I know all of us were shocked. And uh, I know that we all are experiencing a sense of surprise to what happens in our lives when it comes. but, But Peter's trying to say, hey, look be on the lookout, uh, you can almost expect it. I like the story of the doctor talking to one of his patients. The doctor said, I have, uh, I have bad news and unfortunately I have worse news. The patient said, All right, doc, out with it, let's have it. The doctor said, Well, the bad news is that you only have 24 hours left to live. The patient said, That is pretty bad news, but I can't imagine what could be worse than that. The doctor said, well, I forgot to tell you yesterday. Um, That's pretty bad news. Now, like it or not, trials and tragedy are a fact of life, and the people of Moore, Oklahoma, understand this better than most as as we have had quite the tragedies that have come into our town over the course of years. There are small trials that we face in our lives. I think this week, some of the examples of small trials that people experience, getting stuck behind two trains here in more. Now, I know that it's a common occurrence to get stuck behind one train where it will be stopped, and then it needs to allow another train to go past, and then the other one will go. Well, this week, on Thursday morning. I had the privilege of being stopped behind two stationary trains going, what is going on here? Uh, Small trials, dealing with a persistent bout with acid reflux. Not the biggest deal in the world, but it's a small trial. What about forgetting to put the trash can out for the trash man this week when you have four children in the house who create a lot of trash Our whole schedule was messed up because of the snow, and we forgot to put that garbage can out on Wednesday night. And now we have an overflowing trash can that is overflowing into our garage. It's a wonderful blessing. Small trials. What about our house heater going out on Tuesday night, right before the big snowstorm on Wednesday? Well, that was good timing. What about uh, our oven giving up the ghost on Thursday? I've tried to fix it it a couple times, and it finally gave up the ghost. So we had to go and get a new one. My wife is very happy. She doesn't consider this a trial at all. (laughs) She thinks this is God's provision in her life, but it's a small trial in my heart. These are some of the things that I've faced, we have faced. Uh, They're just part of life, aren't they? But then there are some serious trials that people face as well. A loss of a job, serious marriage problems and trials, wayward children, serious medical issues, losing your home to a tornado, loss of a loved one, complication from a surgery. The Freeman and the Martinez family are going through a time of great loss. They're going through a serious trial. Remember when I was 21 years old, when my mom died of breast cancer on New Year's Day in 1998, when she was only 44 years old. I don't want to make this about me, but I'm just trying to say, look, I understand that trials are part of life. Some small ones and some real serious ones that come into our lives. Look, the Bible says in Psalm 34 and verse number 19, David said, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth him out of them all. We're going to experience trials. It's a promise. It's it's not my favorite promise, but it is a promise. We need to understand that. James, the author of this book, would understand that trials are a part of life. That's why he wrote about it. But he would know because, see, when he was 94 years old, he was... Beaten and stoned by the Jews, and then finally he had his brains dashed out with a Fuller's Club. And here's a picture of the Fuller's Club. This is the type of persecution James endured and went through. His life was ended because he was going through tremendous affliction. So James, the author of this book, knew what he was talking about. Of course, he didn't know he was going to go through that yet, but... He had seen it happen to others. He had seen the persecution of others. And he had experienced, I'm sure, some to a lesser degree in his own life when he wrote this. So the promise of trials. But but finally, or next here, I want us to look at the purpose of trials. The purpose of trials in our text here, verse 2 tells us we're going to have them. And actually, when we do, to count it all joy. It's not usually our first natural reaction to say, Here's something I want to account for joy. Here's something I want to rejoice in. And yet that's what we're told to do. But verse number three and four tells us uh, part of the purpose of trials in our lives. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. Let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Nothing. Now, before we get into some of these thoughts here, I just want to say this. Look, trying to determine why God does things is like trying to count to infinity. We're not going to be able to accomplish it. We're not going to be able to do it. This is a very inexhaustive list that I'm going to share with you this this morning. Because God is infinite, and there's no way for us to say, okay, this is always how God works. No, God is God and we're not. But, and and while we may not know all of the reasons why God does uh, allow trials into our lives, the Bible actually does, though. God is gracious enough to make us privy to some of the purposes for some of these difficult times and and there is a purpose for them 1st Corinthians 4:17 Paul said this for our light affliction was which is but for a moment worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory so he says look there is a purpose behind this god does have a reason why he allows some of these trials and tragedies in our lives so what are they what are the biblical purposes for trials Again, we don't have time to get into all of them today, but here are six of the biggest reasons why God allows trials, or at least that He makes us aware of in His Word. First of all, to grow our faith. To grow our faith. And we read the verses 3 and 4 in our text today that He wants us to be perfect and entire. Now, the word perfect doesn't mean that I never make an error, that I never sin. No, it's that, that that's in the word perfect here means mature. means growing and and maturing in my life, in my Christian life. And so God allows some of these things in our lives to grow us, to help us to become stronger. I mean, as they say, no pain, no gain. Well, when it comes to growing in our spiritual life, sometimes that's the case as well. God takes us through a time of pain so that we'll grow and learn things about God and and about the Christian life that we wouldn't have learned if we didn't go through that time of pain and struggle. Think about the life of David. He's most famous for probably defeating Goliath. But you know, before he ever faced Goliath, what did he face? He faced a bear and he faced a lion as he was there as a young shepherd boy caring for his flock. This bear and this lion comes in, and and God in his power helps David defeat the bear, the bear, and the lion. And then now, when he later on in his life, when he faces Goliath, he has all the confidence in the world in God because of what God brought him through in those other times of trial. So when God allows something in our lives, it may be because he wants to prepare us and to make us strong enough to handle what's coming on the horizon that we don't know what's coming. And so sometimes it's these growing pains that we have to experience. Uh, our son Mark is growing physically, and, and he, he's like sleeping a lot more, and he's, uh, he ha- he's mentioned his legs hurt. And uh, we remember this with, with Seth a little bit and, and Luke, that this, growing pains is what he's going through. And you know, when we get go through a time of tragedy and trial, oftentimes that's God saying, hey, I want to grow your faith so that you'll be stronger to face what's coming up in your life. Not to discourage you, not to discourage me about, oh, great, this is a tough trial right now. I wonder what's next. But it's going to help us to grow our faith. Also, another reason why God allows trials in our lives is to humble us. I'd like to invite you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter number 12. Sometimes God allows trials in our lives to humble us, to keep us on our knees, to help us to remember that we need God, that we can't just do it on our own, that we need Him and need to depend upon Him. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse number 7. Paul experienced this, the great prayer warrior, the Mr. Man of Faith. He experienced a trial that never got removed. And the reason for it was so that God would keep him humble. Verse number 7, and he said this, "...and lest I should be exalted above measure, through the abundance of the revelations there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me." And then here again, he repeats it, lest I should be exalted above above measure. So in other words, God, he recognized that the Lord allowed this trial into his life, and we're not privy to what that was exactly. Some people think it may have been an eye disorder. Some people may have been, think it's just persecution that he was dealing with. Whatever it was, verse number eight, he said, For this thing I besought the Lord thrice that it might depart from he. You know, Paul gets all of his prayers answered. Well, he got his prayer answered in this one and it was a no. <laughs> it was a sorry, buddy. You need this in your life to keep you humble so that you do not get exalted above measure. Verse three, or verse nine, he says, my grace is sufficient for thee. My strength is made perfect in weakness. And then Paul's comment here is then, hey, well, then in that case, I'm going to gladly, therefore, glory in my infirmities at the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So he recognized, look, this is a good thing for me. This trial that I'm going through is keeping me humble, and that's a healthy thing for me. I don't like it, but I understand that there is a healthiness about it. I think about Nebuchadnezzar. Most of us know his story. And how he got lifted up in so much pride that God had to bring tremendous trials into his life to humble him. And it worked. Daniel records his story and I would encourage you to uh, read that. Why else does God allow trials into our lives? Well, also to discipline us and to draw us back to God. Sometimes God will use a trial to get us back on course. Now I'm going to share a somewhat embarrassing story with you. I, If you can just keep it between me and you, that'd be a blessing. Not share it everywhere. Of course, this is recording, I think, on Facebook Live. So, for those watching online, please don't share it with anybody else. But when I was a young boy, uh, my parents did what parents should do and they disciplined me. They spanked me because I needed it. And the typical pattern of life was, my brother and I would begin playing, he would make me mad, I would hit him. I would get in trouble, my dad would come home from work and use one of these bad boys uh, on my backside to let me know that he loved me biblically. Well, one day my mom and I, we were at a garage sale and we were looking through clothes and my mom was looking for clothes for me and she came across a pair of shorts that she thought would look good on me. So she bought them. But these weren't any just normal, everyday shorts. These were leather shorts. I know. Everybody just had the most awkward visual picture in their mind right now. I didn't want to wear these because I knew that these were not fashionable. But one day, I did put them on, and I was feeling them, and I was like, you know what, these are thicker than most shorts. And so they kind of became my discipline shorts. When my dad said, you go to your room, son, and I'm going to be right there. I went and grabbed those leather shorts and put those babies on. And my dad, the first time, this was awesome. My dad my dad went and, and, and whacked me a good one. And I'm sitting there bracing like I normally did. And it hit, and I was like, hey, that didn't hurt. But I better cry and pretend like it did, or he's going to get me again. Is he going away yet? Well, finally he figured it out and said, okay, we're not doing those shorts anymore. And uh, I have since given up leather shorts, just so you know. Um, but you know, the Bible says this, My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth one every son whom he receiveth. Look, these trials are not God trying to zap you because you messed up and he hates you. No, it's a loving Heavenly Father trying to draw you back to Himself. Because discipline is not so much about the punishment as it is about the restoration of the relationship. And that's what sometimes God does, allow a trial in our lives to draw us back to Him. And, and boy, one of the things that we should be doing when we're in a trial is saying, Lord, do I need to get some things right with You so that I am back in line with where You want me to be? So God oftentimes does that. So he'll use a trial to discipline us and draw us back to God. Next, he also does it to, or brings trials in our lives to conform us to the image of Jesus Christ. You ever used Play-Doh when you were a kid? How about... Kid, yeah, but man, I still like to play Play-Doh right now. <laughs> um, I don't really like my kids to have Play-Doh in our house because it gets all over the place, because I'm a mean dad. Um, but... Play-Doh is great to play with. Now, when you're playing with Play-Doh, you're trying to make something, you, you, you do something with it, right? You're, you're, you're forming it, you're pushing it together, you're pulling it, maybe even pulling part of that. I don't, I don't need that over here. And so I, I just need this clump here. Oh, maybe I'm going to add some of this over here to make something special. Now, of course, I'm not a good Play-Doh artist, obviously, um, but when you're trying to make something with Plato, there's pulling, there's pushing, removing, adding, twisting, pinching. Well, God's goal is to conform you and I into the image of His Son. And in order to do that, sometimes He's going to pull us. Sometimes He's going to push us. Sometimes He's going to twist us or pinch us. It's not going to feel good, but ultimately He, what He's trying to do is conform us into the image of His Son. Romans 8.29 says this, For whom He did foreknow, He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. So, some of the things that God may be doing is maybe removing something from your life that you didn't need there. And I'm not referring to a loved one necessarily. I'm just saying an, an attitude in our hearts. Um, maybe a behavior in our lives that needs to be removed in order for us to be uh, more uh, a better representative of Jesus Christ. Because His whole goal is for us, as time goes on, for us to represent the Lord more and more as people look in our lives. So why does God allow trials in our lives? Well, also to conform us to the image of Christ. Also to equip us to comfort others. To equip us to comfort others. 2 Corinthians 1. And verse number 3 says, Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort, who comforteth us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble, by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. God many times allows us to go through a trial so that God could use us down the road of life to help someone else who goes through a similar type of trial. I mentioned that my mother passed away when I was only 21 years old. Well, God has used that trial many times in my life to be an encouragement and a blessing and a source of comfort to those who go through something very similar in their lives. God's gonna use your, your life and the things that you've experienced to help others as well. And that is a tremendous blessing to understand. And then, number six here why does God allow trials? Well, many times we don't know why. Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9, My thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God doesn't always tell us why He allows trials in our lives. He usually doesn't tell us when we're going through them. Many times it's, After we've experienced them, then we'll look back and say, okay, well, maybe that's why God allowed this. And may I kindly say this with all all the kindness and the love that I can muster this morning, God does not owe you or me a reason for the trials that he He puts us through. He really doesn't. He doesn't answer to you. He doesn't answer to me. It's quite the other way around. So when we go through a trial and we say, God, you better tell me why I'm going through this. God doesn't have to make it known. Psalm 115 verse 3 says, But God, but our God is in the heavens. He hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. The question comes up, what about wars? What about abortion? What about sex traffickers? What about child molesters? What about murders? Well, the answer is... Hard to give in a sermon like this, but God has graciously allowed each of us a, a free will and a choice. Most have taken that choice to reject God and His law. On top of that, we also live in a sin cursed world because of Adam and Eve and the decision they made in the garden. And now our, our world is cursed and sin does abound. We also le- live in a world where there is an enemy. The Bible says that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. There is someone who is after us and will use anything and everything to get us aside and destroy us. One day, as we talked about in our Sunday school class this morning, God's going to make all things right. And He's going to pour out His wrath upon humankind. And all those who did all these wrongs are going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ, or the great white throne judgment, and be judged according to their works. And they're going to be sentenced to a lake of fire for all of eternity. One day God's going to make it all right. So that's kind of a quick answer to those very hard questions. I want us to notice, thirdly, here the potential of trials. Oh. What could happen to us when we're going through these trials? What what are some of the potentials? Verse 4 tells us in our text back in James chapter number 1. One of the potentials he mentions here, verse number 4, that you may be perfect and entire wanting nothing. But let's get into these here, these couple potentials. First of all, we can become bitter. We can become bitter. We can get angry at God ultimately. Oh, maybe it's a parent that didn't treat us right, or maybe it's a boss that uh, didn't treat us right at work, or maybe it's a pastor that, that hurt you uh, years ago, or maybe it's a friend that betrayed you. Uh, whatever, your bitterness might be directed towards them, but ultimately, my friend, let me encourage you with the thought that bitterness is always directed towards God. Think about a man in the Bible named Saul who died a very bitter man. He had great blessing. He was the king of Israel, the first king of Israel. He was head and shoulders above all. But when David came on the scene, he became very jealous. And, and, uh, and because also of Saul's own doing, he lost his king, his kingship. And David was going to become the next king. And, and Saul wanted to try to take matters in his own hand. And he became enraged and jealous and went after David to the point where it was over. And he died a very bitter man. I think of another lady in the Bible named Naomi. Naomi and her husband and boys were going through a great time of famine. And uh, her husband, Naomi's husband, decided to move the family down to Moab because, well, maybe we'll find financial success down in Moab, which was an ungodly place to move his family. Well, he did move his family there and. Sons ended up getting married to Moabite women. And, and then it wasn't long before that Naomi's husband died and also both of her boys died. And this is the whole story of Ruth coming into play. Ruth was one of those daughters-in-laws that ended up, you guys know the story, but Naomi was became so bitter about what had happened in her life. These trials, these tragedies that had happened that... She actually changed her name to Mara, which means bitter. She was so bitter that she changed her name to be bitter. I've been told that a rattlesnake, if cornered, will sometimes become so angry that it will bite itself. That's exactly what the harboring of hate and resentment against others is. It's a biting of oneself. We think that we're harming others in holding these spites and hates, but the deeper harm is to ourself. The Bible warns us to be careful lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you and thereby many be defiled. Look, bitterness is going to trouble you, not the person you mean the bitterness for. And it says many are defiled because of it. Many Christians who were once on fire for God, involved in ministry, sold out for Jesus Christ, are now out of church because they got bitter at God for a trial in their life. Please don't be that person. Please don't get bitter. We can become bitter, but we can also become better. Genesis chapter number 50 records the, the life of Joseph and the end of it. For sake of time, I won't have you turn there. But look, if anyone, any one person could have become bitter about what happened to him in the Bible, it would have been Joseph. He experienced mistreatment like few others in all of the Word of God. It all started during his teen years when he was hated by his brothers. He was hated so much that they faked his death, sold him into slavery, and lied to their father about what had happened. And while he was a slave in Potiphar's house... Potiphar's wife made advances towards Joseph and became very aggressive and put him in a place of tremendous temptation. But Joseph didn't yield to that temptation. Instead, he left his coat when, he, when she caught him and left her and kept his integrity and purity. This wicked woman then completely lied to her husband and reversed the story. Well, Potiphar threw Joseph into prison for a crime he didn't commit. If that wasn't enough, while in prison he was forgotten after interpreting dreams for the butler and the baker. So while so Jace, Joseph was hated, he was sold, he was lied about, he was punished unjustly, he was forgotten. And yet, in all of that, he didn't get bitter. Oh, he got better. He chose to forgive and trust the sovereignty of Almighty God. Okay, that was a Bible example. What about a more recent illustration? A little over 200 years ago, it was 1818 in France, there was a nine-year-old boy named Louis. He was sitting in his father's workshop. father was a harness maker, and the boy loved to watch his dad work the leather. Someday, father said, Louis, I want to be a harness maker just like you. Well, why not start now, said the father. So he took a piece of leather, drew a design on it. Now, my son, he said, take the hole. Take the hole puncher and a hammer and follow this design, but be careful that you don't hit your hand. Well, excited, the boy began to work, but when he hit the hole puncher, it was a fluke thing, but it flew out of his hand and pierced his eye. He ended up losing the sight of that eye immediately. Well, later, the sight of the other eye failed as well. And Lewis was now totally blind. A few years later, Lewis was sitting in the family garden when a friend handed him a pine cone, and as he ran his sensitive fingers over the cone, an idea came to him and became enthusiastic and began to create an alphabet of raised dots on paper so that blind could feel and interpret what was written. This man, whose name was Lewis Braille, opened up a whole new world for the blind, all because of an accident. Instead of becoming bitter, he became better and helped countless people be able to read who could not see. He became better through the trial. Well, what about something a little more recent? I'd like to share the story of a lady that I met while in California. Her name is Kim Phuc. Kim is best known for being the subject of one of the most iconic photos taken during the entire Vietnam War. How many of you have seen this picture before? A lot of you have. Some of you have not. This is a very famous photo, and I have covered up some of the nudity there because if that black line isn't there, there's no clothes on Kim. You see, her village was bombed by a South Vietnamese napalm attack which burned the clothes right off of Kim. Here's a short video clip of the bombing. That was the exact moment in which the napalm bombs were dropped upon where she was staying. She comes running out, and her clothes are totally burned off of her skin. Well, Kim was removed from her university as a young adult studying medicine, and you can imagine some of the surgeries that she went through. The photographer, Nick Oot, who took that photo, ended up helping her and taking her to the hospital to get her medical attention during this time. And she went to university as a young adult and she wanted to study medicine and help others with their physical ailments. But she was used as a propaganda symbol by the communist government of Vietnam and pulled out of her university. And due to the constant pain that she considered, uh, due to the constant pain she endured, she considered suicide. She considered ending it all because of the pain that she experienced from this event but in 1982 she found a new testament in a library that led her to become a christian and her faith enabled her to forgive here's a brief clip of her story as she shares how she was able to forgive those who did this to her
1: the fire of the bombs which burned my body it was the skills of the doctors which mended my skin but it took a power of God's love, it healed my heart. And so He cleansed me. Everything is happened That is, I learned that God loves me. And so I learned in the Bible, and I pray God daily, how can I do with His love? And I know that God Teach me in Luke six thirty-seven, forgive and ye shall be forgiven. You have to love another. And that is seen I know that God loved me and He made me I received so many blessings from God and so that is I can able to forgive the people
0: when God forgive me. Amen. Here was a lady who was tremendously hurt. She didn't do anything wrong. But her whole life was radically changed in that moment on June 8th, 1972, when that photo was taken. But God has used her to not become bitter, but to become better and to help others forgive the things that have happened to them. May the Lord help us to become bitter, or better, not bitter when we go through times of trial. Finally, this morning, I want us to see our priorities during trials. And I'm going to go through these very quickly this morning. What should we focus on during trials? What should our priorities be when we're experiencing a trial of any magnitude, small or serious? What should we be focusing on? Verse five, 4 and 5, it says, Let patience have her perfect work. So here there's something we should be doing. Let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire wanting nothing. If if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. There's a couple things that we should be doing here in this passage. There's some other things that I want to bring out this morning too. And that is, first of all, make sure that you are right with God. Make sure that you are right with God. Make sure that, first of all, you are you have a relationship with God and that you are one of His children. Acts chapter 16, verse 31 says, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. If you are not a Christian, that's the first thing you should be doing during a trial. That's the priority numero uno, is to make sure that you are positionally right with God and then also as a Christian to make sure that you're in good fellowship with God during this time. This is a good opportunity for you to take spiritual inventory of your life and say, God, is there anything between you and me that I need to get right? And to do that. First 1 John 1, 1.9, if we confess our sins, He is uh, faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you are not right with God, get right with God during this time. That's a beautiful opportunity, and God may be doing that for some in our town right now who are not Christians, who could become Christians during this time. And that's priority number one. So make sure that you're right with God. So friend, can I just ask you this question? Because many of us have been going through a time of trial and are in one right now. Are you right with God? If not, today is a great day to get right with God. Okay, priority number one is to make sure you're right with God. Next, focus on the blessings not just the blisters. Certainly during a trial, the blisters are the ones that cry the loudest and scream at you, but, but there's blessings still that we can focus in on. Remember it was Paul who said to the Thessalonians in chapter 5 and verse 18, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you, except for times of trial. No, that's not what the verse says. The verse says, in everything give thanks. Now you may not be able to at that moment give thanks for what took place. That may take some time for you to get a perspective on what took place. But look, there are blessings that you still can be thankful for even though you're going through a time of trial. Play the glad game. Look for the silver lining in it. Don't just focus on the negative. Focus on the blessings that you have as well. And then next, make the choice to rejoice in the Lord no matter what. Philippians 4 and verse 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord all way. Yes, even during times of trial. And then he says, and again I say rejoice. So make the choice to rejoice in the Lord no matter what. Your heater breaks when there's the biggest snowstorm in nine years, rejoice in the Lord. When your wife gets the oven of her dreams and you're bankrupt forever, (laughs) rejoice in the Lord. Okay, I'm teasing, kind of. But when tragedy comes into our life, which what's happened in many of our, well, in our community this week, we can still rejoice in the Lord. Because look, God hasn't changed. He's still worthy of our rejoicing in Him. Make the choice to rejoice in the Lord no matter what next. Forgive those who wronged you. Easier said than done, I understand. Luke 6.37, the verse that Kim read from her Bible in the little clip we just watched. Forgive and ye shall be forgiven. There was a lady who was... Her, her story is amazing. There is a clip of her and the commander that um, issued that, that attack that took out that, that village. That commander and Kim met up, and she was able to hug him and say, I forgive you. Can you imagine? Can you imagine that she did that? And that's because of God's grace. Look, Ephesians 4.30, it says, Forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. We need to be forgiving those who wronged us. Holding bitterness in, again, will not harm the person that you're holding the bitterness towards. It'll only harm you, the person holding it. So forgive those who wronged you. Next, trust the Lord and His sovereignty. Trust the Lord and His sovereignty. This week in Bible time, there we, we were reading in our home about the disciples who were in the boat and a storm came. And remember, Jesus was asleep in the boat and the disciples woke him up and say, hey, don't you care that we're about to perish? They ultimately accused Jesus of not caring about them when they were going through a time of trial, when they were going through a storm. Don't accuse God of not caring about you when you go through a storm. Trust the Lord and His sovereignty. Of course, Romans 28 comes to mind. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God. God is able to take all the things like what we've gone through this week and bring good about. It's amazing that God can do that. Next, run to God's Word. During a time of trial, running away from God's Word is one of the worst things you can do. Running to God's Word, running to the source of the, the words of life. This is what we need. Words of wisdom. This is what we need during a time of trial. Remember when my mom died? I mentioned that. I was reading through the Book of Psalms, and many of those psalms spoke to my heart. Like they, I that was the first time I ever seen them, because I was going through it, uh, going through those passages while I was in a trial. Psalm one nineteen, verse seventy one. It is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I might learn thy statutes. When we're going through a time of trial, you will be sensitive to the Word of God like you aren't when you're in a time of blessing. So run to God's Word. And then, last year, keep doing right. Keep doing right. Don't quit doing what you know is right according to the Word of God. 2 Timothy 3.14 Continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and been assured of, Knowing of whom thou hast learned them. Keep doing right. Keep being faithful to church. Keep reading your Bible. Keep spending time in prayer. Keep doing right. Stay away from the wrong influences and be around the right influences. Keep doing right. Now, of the six things, or of the seven things, I guess, we've talked about this morning, the very most important is the thought about making sure that you're right with God. We've been reminded several times recently that our life is a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. There's only one way to be ready for that day and that's by placing your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and believing that He lived a perfect and sinless life, that He died on the cross for your sins, that He was buried and three days later He rose from the dead and that He is the only way of salvation. Thankful for the testimony of Rachel Freeman who became a Christian. Rachel and her mom, Jody, were here on Easter Sunday, Cornerstone Baptist Church. Rachel Freeman had placed her faith in Christ alone for her salvation. She didn't prepare and plan to be in heaven on Monday afternoon. She was running with the others, preparing for a track meet. But in an instant... Her vapor disappeared, and it vanished away. Are you ready for your vanishing day? Oh, again, I hope it's not for a long, long time, but none of us, as we've learned recently from the helicopter crash that took place in Los Angeles two weeks ago today, from the events of last Monday, none of us know when that day is for us. Are you ready? And if not, please get ready. You're not really ready to live until you're ready to die. Are you ready to die? Let's pray together this morning. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to discuss a very difficult topic. Reason why you allow things into our lives that are less than pleasant. Lord, I know that I didn't cover everything that could have been covered today, and I know that I didn't go as in-depth in each of these as I wish I could have, but Lord, I pray that there would be at least some understanding of the fact that you do have a plan, a purpose for what happens in our lives, good and bad. And Lord, help us to have the right priorities in our lives when we are facing times of trial. Lord, especially today, I do want to pray for those who maybe aren't sure about their They're standing with you. Who don't know that they have a relationship with you. Oh, I pray today you would draw them to yourself. May they come to Christ and be saved and trust you alone for their salvation. Help them not to put it off and delay. We've seen recently that that's a a bad idea. But Lord, I pray that they would urgently and make this decision today. And then Lord, for those of us who are Believers, help us, Lord, to apply this message to our lives today, during this season of our lives. But then, Lord, we may get out of this trial, but then later down the road, we're going to face another one. Help us to apply these truths then as well.